welcome to Unity Presbyterian Church Online. This week in worship, Pastor David continues to look at our identity with who are we as disciples of Christ. Let's listen. Okay, we are in week two of our mini-series that is focusing on identity. If you were with us last week, we focused on who are we as a community? Who are we as a church? And we learned from the scriptures that we are the body of Christ, which means that we are supposed to extend Jesus' ministry. So anything that Jesus did while he was on earth, the church is supposed to be doing today. Well, that was last week where we talked about the community, but today we're going to ask, who are we as individuals? And really, who are we meant to be as disciples? Disciples who are seeking to follow God. I mean, we've all heard of the 12 disciples and how they dedicated years of their life to follow Jesus, to learn from Jesus. But you might be surprised to know that 2,000 years later, you also are disciples. You are meant to follow and learn from Jesus as well. Now, there are many characteristics of discipleship that we could talk about today. But I'm going to narrow in our focus to three things. Three things that Jesus said are essential for every person who wants to be a disciple. So if we want to follow Jesus and learn how to do that really well, he sets aside these three things for us to do that successfully. Here's the first one, and it comes from John chapter 8. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, You are truly my disciples if you dwell on my word. So that's the first step. When we're thinking about the way of discipleship, of trying to become a disciple of Jesus, the first thing Jesus says we must do is dwell on his word. Now, I think all of us in this room really want to be a disciple of Jesus. And so we need to take these words seriously. When he says his word, what he means is all of his teachings. Everything Jesus taught about how to live, about who God was, about how to treat other people. All of that is encompassed in Jesus's word. And did you notice what you're supposed to do with Jesus's word? Not just follow it, you're to dwell on it. I found it interesting that Jesus didn't tell the people, I just want you to believe my word. Sometimes we think when you're gonna be a disciple, all that's required is belief, right? I believe these things, okay, I'm a disciple. But this actually goes beyond that. Uh, believing is required, it's essential, but that's almost like step one. Disciples don't stop there. In fact, I wonder if you noticed that when Jesus gave this command, he said it to the people who already believed in him. So he takes that for granted. He goes, I know you believe in me, but now you're taking that next step. You believe my word, and now I want you to dwell in it. Well, it seemed to me that that word dwell was really important. Obviously, Jesus meant something by it. So I spent time this week looking at the Greek, at the language that this was originally written in, to try to really understand the nuances of that word dwell. And it has three primary translations. To dwell means to stay, to abide, and to cling to. So when we're talking about dwelling in Jesus' word, it means you are to just stay 
immersed in his word. You are to be abiding in Christ's word. And not only that, there are times in your life that you need to cling to God's word. Think about this in the English language. Your dwelling is where you make your home, isn't it? It is where you feel most yourself and most at ease, probably most safe in the world. And really to dwell, uh, your dwelling is where you spend probably the most time. And I think that's true for what Jesus is saying as well, but I don't want you to just think physically about where you spend your time. Where do your thoughts dwell? Where do you, does your mind spend the majority of its time? Does it dwell in worries? Does it dwell on your to-do list? I mean, if you're like all of us, probably. But a disciple is one who's making the intentional choice to seek to dwell in Jesus' words. So a disciple is trying to make their life and their thoughts so immersed in Christ's words that they're almost one in the same. Yes, we dwell on Jesus' teachings. That is the first step in our way of discipleship. But that's not the last step. There are two other things that Jesus wants his disciples to dwell on as well. The next one comes just a couple of chapters after this first one. In John chapter 15, when Jesus says this, Abide in me as I also abide in you. Okay, hold on. The astute observer would recognize that that word abide could have been translated as that Greek word to dwell, and you would have been correct. Those are the same word. Those same words, abide and dwell, are the same word in Greek. So it's almost as if Jesus could say, dwell in me as I also dwell in you. Although there is one major difference here. Originally, Jesus was saying, I want you to dwell in my word and in my teachings. But now, Jesus is saying, I want you to dwell in me, in the actual person of Christ. So we abide in Christ. We cling to Christ. We make our home in Christ. This is the second way of discipleship. We dwell in Christ. The first way, I think, is probably pretty easily understood. We all know, yes, I want to dwell on the teachings of Jesus. That makes sense to me. That's something that I really want to do. But then when we think about how we can actually dwell in Christ, that might become a little harder to wrap your mind around. How does that actually work? I find when talking about the more mystical aspects of Jesus' teachings, sometimes an image can be helpful. So I would like for you to use your imaginations for a second and I want you to picture what it looks like the moment that you jump into a body of water. So maybe that's a lake, maybe that's a pool, or like this picture here, maybe that's the ocean. And there's a moment right when you jump in when you're completely submerged, where there's not a part of you that's not in contact with the water around you. And every movement you make is impacted by that same water. You, in that moment, are abiding in the water. In the same way, this is what Jesus wants for your soul, for the deepest parts of you to be so 
closely connected with Christ, that it's like you are swimming in the ocean of God's love. I think that's what it means when Christ says you are to abide in me and I in you. Now, the ocean is is one analogy that we can use to try to understand Jesus' teachings, but it's not the only analogy. Earlier, Jesus used a different analogy of the vine and the branches. That may be one you're more familiar with, where Jesus says, okay, I'm the vine, meaning I'm the main source of life, and then you, everyone out here who seeks to be my disciple, you are simply the branches off of that vine. But when you stay connected to the vine, that is your source of life. And you are able to do everything you're designed to do when you are connected with Christ, when you are connected with the vine. I think what Jesus is implying with that analogy is to say that to live our true abundant selves, we must really abide with Christ, connected to the vine, dwelling in Christ. He continues this analogy and takes it a step further in the next verse. He says, No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must dwell, there's that word again, in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you dwell in me. So now we're seeing the results of dwelling in Christ, of staying connected with Christ. The results are that as disciples, you bear fruit. Now, in Jesus' time, he probably had this image of what he was thinking of when he thought of fruit. In our time, maybe you think of a different image, but I want you to move beyond the physical image of fruit. And when you think of fruit, what I want you thinking of is the fruit of the Spirit. Because when we bear fruit, I think that's the fruit that Jesus really has in mind, that you are bearing the fruit of the Spirit, which means you are bearing in your life love and peace, and joy, and patience, and kindness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. That's the sort of fruit that is bearing in your life, that is going out into the world based on how you live as a disciple of Jesus. Let me show you an object lesson to, to help you imagine this a little bit. Jesus really wants us to all imagine branches. And you see these all over the place, don't you? I mean, anytime you are walking around and you see a tree, at the bottom of that tree, there's going to be branches lying down there. But those branches are just picked up and discarded, aren't they? Because they're not doing what they're meant and designed to do any longer. For a while, they were a part of the tree. They were connected with the tree, the source of life. And as they were, they were then able to live like they were designed to live. Maybe bear leaves, or if it was a different type of tree, bear fruit. But when that branch is disconnected, as this branch is right now, it can no longer do anything that it was designed to do. It's this analogy that Christ is is trying to get us to think about with our own lives. To say, if we are branches... And we cannot be disconnected from the source of life. We must stay connected with Christ, abiding and dwelling in Christ if we are going to bear the sort of fruit that God wants us to bear. I'll leave this up here to get us continue to 
thinking about this analogy that Jesus gives to us. But the bottom line is, is if you want to be known as a person who brings kindness and goodness into the world, stay connected to Christ. If you want to be known as faithful and as gentle, stay connected to Christ. I believe it is the only way. Jesus reiterates this with the next verse. He says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you dwell in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. I don't want to do nothing in this life. I want to make an impact on the world and and on my family and on the people that I love. I want to live this life, which is the only life we're given, in a way that truly means something. And if that's true for you as well, then we have our marching orders. We are disciples, meaning we are dwelling in Christ. Now, skipping ahead a couple of verses, Jesus makes a claim that when we do this, we show that essentially we are being disciples. In verse 8, he says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, proving yourselves to be my disciples. So do you see how Jesus is drawing a connection between bearing fruit in the world, again, that fruit of the Spirit, and being known as a disciple of Jesus? It goes beyond just belief into action, into living a certain way of life that bears this fruit. And so when you choose to live a sort of life where in your life things like peace and patience and love and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control, when those things are pouring out of your life and other people in the world take notice of that, they're not going to look at you and go, wow, what a good person. They're going to look at you and say, hmm, they're living a different sort of life, a life that might be a disciple of Jesus. It points the person back to God. That's exactly what happened with the refugees, isn't it? Where they saw the sorts of lives that these people in this church were living, and they saw the fruits of the Spirit, and they didn't just say, well, good for them. It pointed them back to God to say they're doing this because of their faith in their God. That's what we want our lives to be about. I do want you to notice, though, that this is an individual path. Today, we're not talking about the community of faith like we did yesterday. We're talking about us as individual disciples, meaning nobody can walk this path for you. This is a path that you must choose to say, I want to be a disciple. I want these sorts of characteristics to be a part of my life. I'm going to take that step of discipleship on my own. Now, the body of Christ, the the church, is going to be here cheering you on, encouraging you, saying, yes, we want you to be a person of peace. We want you to be a person of love. It's like there's one giant cheerleading section out there saying, yes, live this life of discipleship. But the choice to actually live it, well, that lies with each and every one of us individually, on our own. And did you notice that when we, though, live this life, it is for God's glory that we do so? Right at the beginning of this verse, Jesus says, 
This sort of life is for my Father's glory. Yes, I believe, based on these words, that bearing fruit should be the goal of each of us as we walk this road of discipleship. Now, is this easy? No. No, not at all. I mean, even in the church, uh, choosing conflict is usually easier than choosing peace. Uh, It's easier to be irritable than it is to be patient. Uh, It's easier to choose self-indulgence than self-control. You could probably pick any one of the fruits of the Spirit and look at the opposite and say, oh, the opposite is easier. So no, this path of discipleship, it's not easy. In fact, it's probably the hardest thing that you will ever choose to do with your life. But it is also the most rewarding. So we have the first two ways of discipleship so far. You're making your home in Christ's word and his teachings, and then you are, in fact, dwelling in Christ. But there's one more. And I I want you to imagine what that might be. Because to me, those two things seem pretty all-encompassing. Yeah, we follow Christ's teaching. We seek to, to live connected to Christ. What else could there be? And so if you were to add one more, just think in your minds, what would that be? In the next verse, here's what Jesus says. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now dwell in my love. This is the third way of discipleship, to dwell in Jesus's love. Earlier, just a couple chapters earlier in John, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. Notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, by this, everyone's going to know that you are my disciple if they know that you are right. No, that's not what he cared about. Uh, Jesus cared about his disciples being right a lot less than he cared about them acting in love. That is what he's asking us to do here. He says, if you want to follow me, if you want to be one of my disciples, then you commit to dwelling and abiding and making your home in my love. Because if we can truly do that, then that love is going to spill out of us into the world. And when people see that, they are going to say, wow, we know that they are a disciple of Jesus. Now, I think that probably makes sense to a lot of us, but it's also something we've heard a lot, isn't it? If you've been around church much at all, you hear, okay, God is love. God wants you to be loving. But I want us to take a next step in that. And so be thinking about this question for a minute. What's the difference between knowing about God's love intellectually and really dwelling in God's love? Think about that just for a moment. Because I think knowing about love and experiencing love are two separate things. To give an example, think of the primary loving relationship in your life. I think of my wife. So my wife and I recently celebrated 15 years of marriage. And and I know that she loves me. And I know that I love her simply because we tell each other every day. But what if I stopped there? Stopped with only telling her and never really showing her my love. It would be different, right? If she never experienced it. And I don't want to stop there. And so knowing my wife, I know that quality time is one of her love languages. So if I really want to show her love, 
then I'm going to be intentional about finding a time when the two of us can just be with one another, sharing about our lives, uninterrupted, to really say, okay, what's going on in you? What's happening in your heart? I want to hear about this. That's usually when the kids are in bed, it's a little quieter around the house, and we finally get a chance to talk and connect. Knowing about love, simply saying I love you, and then experiencing it, feeling it in your heart, those are two separate things. To dwell in Christ's love is to both know it and experience it. Okay, there are two final verses where Jesus wraps this all together. He says, if you keep my commands, the teachings, the words of Christ, right? That's what we started with. If you keep my commands, you will dwell in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and dwell in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Do you notice the progression that we have here? Jesus' commands, his teachings, lead us to becoming more loving people. And as we become more loving people, we are filled with more joy. It goes from commands to love to joy. And really, this makes all the sense in the world when you think about what Jesus actually taught, when you think about what his commands actually were. I mean, just for fun, I did a little research this past week, and I wondered to myself, how many commands did Jesus actually give in the New Testament? How many times did Jesus actually say, do this or don't do this? When you kind of get rid of some of the redundancies and just look at kind of the main categories of teachings, there are 50, 50 commands of Jesus in the New Testament. I was encouraged by that. I thought, well, that's not overwhelming. That's an amount that I think all of us could really seek to follow. And so I decided to give you some homework. When you leave here today, on the black round table, right here on the right side, there's going to be a list of all of 50 commands that Jesus gave in the New Testament. I would like for you to take this list. And then I want you to do an experiment with it. Here's the experiment. You're going to take just one of these, just any one of these, and say, I'm going to try to do the best I can to live according to this command. And then pay attention and find out, is it making you a more loving person? And if it is making you a more loving person, pay attention and say, am I becoming more filled with joy? as I live this sort of way. I mean, if you really get going, you could do one command every day, or just start with one a week, where you're focusing on one thing and experimenting to see what kind of person that makes you. Let me give you an example. I picked one, I picked number seven, and number seven says, be reconciled. So that's a command of Jesus, that's part of his teaching. And if we're dwelling in his word, then as disciples, we need to say, okay, we are people of reconciliation, which means if there's an issue or dispute, then we need to be the one to move to reconcile. So think of this fictional story, totally made up. Think about maybe I'm having a frustration with my neighbors because they're putting out all their fall decorations and it's the middle of August. 
And I'm thinking to myself, really? I'm looking at pumpkins already. It's 95 degrees. I don't really want this. Perhaps I'm feeling some resentment in that moment. I have a choice of what to do. I can just stew on it and just hold it in and just feel every time I see those decorations a little inner turmoil, or I can remember Jesus' teaching. And I can remember that Jesus wants me to be a person who goes and seeks reconciliation. And when I remember that, I can say, okay, I'm going to go. And I'm going to take that first step towards reconciliation. Uh, maybe in, in this situation, it's me going to talk with my neighbor. Or really, in this made-up scenario, it's just me kind of getting over it. That, too, <laughs> is a form of reconciliation. But instead of being moved towards conflict, I will be being moved towards love, which eventually will lead me to more joy. I encourage you to pick a commandment and say, I'm really embracing this. And I want to see how these teachings change who I am as I live. So, who are we? We are the body of Christ. And you each individually are disciples, meant to dwell in Christ, his words, his teachings, and ultimately being led by his love. That's who you are. If you would like more information about Unity Presbyterian Church, please visit our website at www.unitypres.org or visit us on Facebook. This is the Unity Presbyterian Church Podcast. Have a great week.